Welcome to the East Career Cast, brought to you from the East Section of Career Development. I am Stephanie Montgomery from the Medical University of South Carolina. In this section, we are pleased to have Dr. Kirby Gross with us. Dr. Gross is a trauma and acute care surgeon at the San Antonio Military Medical Center at Fort Sam Houston, Texas. He is a decorated member of the United States Army and works to take care of our troops. He is also a very active member in our organization, the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. We are very pleased that he could spend some time with us today discussing a very important topic, a military career. Is it for me, and what do I need to know? Let's begin. What kind of opportunities and advantages does the military have to offer someone who is contemplating or pursuing a career in surgery? Very good. First off, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to chat with you today. Uh, the military provides an opportunity to uh, work in uh, a varied practice environments, and also the military practice provides an opportunity to be freed up of some of the uh, administrative, business administrative side of medicine. I, uh, before joining the uh, United States Army in 2002, I was in uh, a general surgery practice in northern Indiana. So I have a good chance to compare what civilian practice was, a bit dated certainly, uh, to uh, military practice. So what does the military look for in a surgeon? Well, I think the military... Uh, uh, in terms of surgeons, looks for, first off, skilled surgeons. The military surgeons need to meet the same standards, the same requirements as our civilian colleagues. That is uh, uh, a board certification. There are many way, routes to become a, a military surgeon. Uh, the specific route that I became a military surgeon was a bit uh, different in that uh, I was uh, had no affiliation with the United States Army when I uh, came on board in 2002. My uh, training was uh, civilian uh, at Indiana University, went into practice, then uh, joined the Army in 2002. So I was considered a direct accession is a specific term. So I uh, uh, approached the uh, local recruiters and uh, in terms of recruiting for physicians, nurses, other allied health professions, pharmacy, for example, uh, physical therapists, there's a specific group of recruiters in the Army who uh, are knowledgeable about health care recruiting. Uh, so that was my route. However, there are educational opportunities for uh, for physicians, and truly the bulk of the military physicians and surgeons uh, enter the military through educational programs. The military has opportunities to attend medical school through the uh, Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences. There are also scholarships that are available for those interested in uh, health career which uh, are available. And those individuals who start their their uh, medical training through those routes, then as they move to the residency and uh, specialty uh, tracks, that, that's the more common route for someone to actually become a practicing surgeon in the Department of Defense. 
Um, that's it segued really well into my next question. Is there an optimal time to make the jump to a military career? Uh, for example, do you think going in at medical school level or right after the fellowship, or does it even matter? You know, I don't think it really matters. I think uh, what's most critical about uh, serving in the Department of Defense as a surgeon is uh, understanding what one's wishes and desires and motivations to uh, uh, to be a surgeon in in the Department of Defense. Um, the uh, um, certainly what keeps myself as well as our colleagues in the uh, uh, to serve as military surgeons is some intangible, some reason for which uh, they wish to continue to serve. Uh, there are we're nicely compensated for our uh, 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 payment, but of our our work. However, the uh, uh, certainly it may be a bit of a differential compared to our civilian colleagues. Uh, so certainly, uh, uh, it's not the financial compensation or some sort of reason that uh, that uh, keeps one motivated to serve. Myself. Uh, uh, Welcome the opportunity to be in a uh, the military environment works very well for me. Uh, not all individuals uh, uh, would do well in the relatively uh, structured employment environment of the uh, of the Department of Defense. Some of the benefits of, uh, of being in the uh, Department of Defense, working as a surgeon, you need to assume leadership roles uh, as a surgeon in. Uh, in practice or even in the academic realm, there are certain leadership roles which one assumes as they become more senior. In a way that we are more, those are thrust upon one in the uh, in the Department of Defense. Uh, so that's one of the, the unique features. Uh, if someone wishes to acquire some of the more uh, military-oriented uh, training and background, probably coming into the uh, early on in their professional career would be prudent as opposed to um, uh, coming on board a bit later. However, those uh, opportunities, the outward bound things, uh, opportunity for uh, airborne school, uh, uh, air assault, uh, opportunity to uh, uh, have some time in the field, those are opportunities which are uh, available at all ages, but they're typically a uh, engaged, more easily engaged, uh, younger years. So can you tell us some of the specifics regarding a military commitment? How many years of payback is required, and what sort of basic training do you have to complete? Now, as a direct accession, my initial commitment back in 2002 was for four years on active federal service, with that to be followed up with four years of reserve commitment. The uh, uh, the opportunity to stay on active federal service is uh, at the, uh, if the service member, if the surgeon wishes to stay on board, typically that's not uh, not a problem provided they, uh, their performance clinically as well as professionally is, is solid. The uh, uh, training, the uh, one myself not having any specific military background, uh, my initial entry was off to officer basic course. And at officer basic course, that's where we learn uh, uh, some 
uh, rudimentary notion about uh, military customs and courtesy, structures of the military, some basic weapon skills, some land navigation, some some of those sort of uh, things which are necessary to know, uh, which provides uh, ability to interact with other members of the of the Department of Defense. Certainly, uh, those individuals who have a different route uh, as a military surgeon, those who have attended uh, 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 medical school or uh, their uh, residency training in the military, they will be exposed to those lessons uh, during uh, during medical school at USUS uh, and also uh, during their, their uh, training at uh, one of the military medical centers which offers graduate medical education. So could you please share with us a bit about your career in the military? Um, you said you joined in 2002, so when was that in reference to the other stages of your career, and what influenced you to make the decision to jump to the military at that point? My interest in the military goes back uh, quite some time. I um, uh, I attended undergraduate school at a small engineering school at uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, Rose Holman Institute of Technology, and it was the last school, last uh, undergraduate institution in the nation that had mandatory ROTC. And this was quite a few years ago, and uh, uh, the school I attended, Rose Holman, was uh, engineering and uh, the associated sciences, and it had little in terms of other uh, curriculum. And in fact, the uh, other curriculum which filled out the requirements to be an accredited college was military history. And the faculty, the ROTC faculty, were outstanding. There were young military officers who were very, very knowledgeable about uh, the military, and who were able to provide military history courses, military science courses. We had a chance to learn during those first two years of mandatory ROTC some basic structure of the military. Now, mind you, this was many years ago, and this was at a period of time when uh, uh, the uh, military service was not all that popular. And shortly after my uh, my stay at Rose Holman, the uh, association with ROTC was no longer mandatory for undergraduates. Another point which uh, caused some interest in uh, military service and specifically surgery in the military was my residency. I uh, trained at Indiana University and my surgical mentor was uh, Dr. James Madura. And Dr. Madura had trained at Ohio State University and after his uh, internship, he was uh, drafted and he served as a uh, surgeon in Vietnam. And uh, thinking back to my days as a resident and interacting with Dr. Madura, who at that time was a, a, a senior faculty member, I thought to myself, you know, Dr. Madura is a great surgeon, smart guy, but I cannot imagine myself after my internship year, going to serve as a combat trauma surgeon. 
and uh, the sort of stories Dr. Maduro would share with us, uh, experiences in Vietnam and, and the challenges that he described and some of the unique features of uh, surgery in the military actually piqued my interest. And uh, uh, then fast forward uh, uh, September 11th, uh, the, uh, uh, the events, uh, the attack on the United States, uh, uh, I, it really prompted a, a visceral response on my part. It was a response that uh, uh, that uh, uh, I was, uh, in all honesty, angry. It still angers me to this day to understand that uh, uh, I don't understand how uh, individuals in their office checking emails are considered legitimate targets. And uh, however that was the case, and uh, on that day, and remains the case. So I, I felt it was my responsibility and obligation to ensure that our war fighters who would be uh, defending the United States uh, have uh, uh, resources available, including uh, uh, surgeons who were committed to the cause. My experience in the uh, United States Army has been very rewarding. Had some uh, 17 outstanding years in practice in uh, northern Indiana, uh, just outside South Bend and Elkhart. Um, very much enjoyed practice. Uh, however, my experience serving as a military surgeon has been very, uh, been much more rewarding. I think uh, it's been more rewarding in terms of the patients who, to whom I provide care. My uh, uh, my interest has been that of deployed trauma care. I've had the good fortune to have been deployed seven times for a total of 50 months, 5-0. And uh, uh, the, the deployments, uh, uh, taking care of our wounded warriors, uh, uh, it, it's been uh, inspiring. All it takes is being in a uh, theater a uh, combat support hospital or a theater forward surgical team uh, receiving uh, casualties uh, uh, from a firefight and uh, have uh, one of the service members uh, ask, uh, inquire how their buddies are doing. And invariably, as wounded service members arrive after being injured themselves, their first question, should they be able to speak, is always, how is their colleague? And the second question is, when can I get back to the fight? And those that might be a good question, but oftentimes the folks who are asking those questions have suffered amputations and are fully unaware of the impact that their injuries will have on them long term. So, so dealing with uh, those sort of uh, individuals who are uh, committed to their craft, committed to their country, inspires me to be as committed as I can to provide care to them. Now, I know that uh, my interest has been uh, deployment uh, trauma, and uh, uh, we've had some significant success during the past several years in outcomes. Uh, many things that we've adopted in the deployed trauma system are directly from our civilian colleagues. 
specifically a couple things that we've learned, which we've applied uh, to our uh, theater trauma system, has been that of a trauma system. That is, it was uh, identified by our civilian colleagues that a functioning, mature trauma system decreases the risk of mortality and morbidity by between 15 to 20 percent. Also, the American College of Surgeons, uh, the National Trauma Database, uh, that registry served as a tremendous opportunity to improve for performance improvement and to facilitate clinical investigations. So, uh, at the start of the recent conflicts, those two very fundamental pieces, uh, fundamental parts of uh, improving outcomes, did not exist in the Department of Defense. Uh, are some of our uh, Military surgeons at the time, uh, Colonel John Holcomb, uh, Colonel Don Jenkins, Warren Dorlock, some of the uh, Brian Eastridge, some true leaders identified that we needed to incorporate these uh, these uh, uh, processes into the, the military. So uh, in 2004, 2005, they advocated to our theater uh, medical leadership, the benefits of adopting some of these principles, and uh, a theater trauma system was established, and also a, uh, at that time, labeled a joint theater trauma registry was established. It's been relabeled as the Department of Defense Trauma Registry. And with those two innovations that uh, our civilian colleagues had known for years, which had been incorporated into our deployed trauma system, we've we've had some significant improvements in outcomes. Uh, but I think the uh, uh, there are many reasons that we've had some improvements uh, in uh, combat casualty care outcomes, uh, you know, specifically incorporating those two other innovations which have been applied, of course, have been tourniquets. The damage control resuscitation has uh, uh, had been envisioned and, and uh, considered but really applied, and with the registry, we were able to confirm the benefits of uh, that uh, resuscitation route to be applied uh, for our combat casualties. Uh, so uh, uh, that has been particularly rewarding for me to, to serve as a, a member with our uh, warriors downrange also to have a chance to see the improvements in combat casualty care uh, over the period of time. It's been said that the only individuals who truly uh, gain from conflict are future warriors. And I think that it's been well known that uh, there are improvements which occur during time of war. Uh, and that's happened in the past. We know about the use of antibiotics in World War II, the introduction of vascular surgery in, in Korea and Vietnam, the evacuation processes which were uh, started and refined in Vietnam. And, and uh, it goes back to, to wars in the past. And, and one of the motivations in addition to, uh, to uh, um, contributing to the defense of our country uh, back at the start of this conflict was to, uh, to to participate in the improvement in casualty care. I knew uh, that uh, uh, the 
there are gains to be made and, and uh, the blood of our service members would be, lessons would be available learned and I wanted to ensure I had a chance to participate and make sure those lessons would not be lost. So um, that's uh, been been my focus, been very rewarding. I've had a chance to be, to serve at several duty stations here in the United States. My initial uh, duty station was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, and uh, uh, then I, uh, uh, between deployments, I eventually had a duty assignment at uh, William Beaumont Army Medical Center. Uh, then uh, I had a duty station at the old Walter Reed Army Medical Center at Washington, D.C., and uh, my current duty station is at uh, uh, San Antonio Military Medical Center. One of the very rewarding things about uh, my experience in the military is the chance to collaborate with our civilian centers of excellence. My first duty station was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky in 2002. And uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky is only about 40 minutes uh, uh, by I-24 from Nashville. And uh, uh, the trauma service at Vanderbilt University uh, uh, Director Trump at the time, uh, uh, Dr. John Morris, now uh, uh, Dr. Rich Miller, were very supportive of their military surgeon colleagues who were practicing up the road at Fort Campbell. And I had a chance to uh, spend time, uh, go down to Vanderbilt, uh, 10 grand rounds, eventually uh, shadow the uh, trauma teams on weekends. Uh, certainly by that time I'd been in practice for many years, but I certainly recognized the need to become more familiar with standard, with current trauma practice and, and thought. And uh, the, our colleagues at Vanderbilt welcomed me to uh, to shadow them and, and observe, and I did not uh, uh, participate in the care, but I sure learned a lot from rounds in the ICU and, and uh, uh, watching the faculty and the house staff work. I... Uh, after several deployments, I was even further inspired to pursue a career in trauma. And uh, the Department of Defense does offer not only uh, general surgery training, but also fellowship training. And I uh, applied for an opportunity for advanced training in, in trauma. And now keep in mind, at that point, I was 54 years old. And uh, 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 I applied to the board, that is the military board, requesting opportunity for additional training in trauma. And at the time, being 54, I thought it was, I almost did it as a joke, thinking I cannot imagine the, the Department of Defense would invest two years in a surgeon to give them an opportunity to gain initial training in trauma, I would imagine, you know, look at the the, the yield. Certainly a, train a young person, someone whose uh, longevity in the Department of Defense would be much greater. Well, I applied to this board, and guess what? I was selected. And uh, I was uh, very happy to receive the news. I was actually deployed at the time. And uh, my next... Uh, email from deployment was uh, to uh, Dr. Addison May, the, the program director at Vanderbilt, and uh, I uh, informed him I would have two years for training and uh, 
asked me if, uh, uh, what the process w was to apply to the, uh, the fellowship at uh, Vanderbilt, and he responded to say I was hired. And uh, I couldn't, I uh, uh, almost thought it was a, a joke once again, but, but uh, I learned that one of the benefits of having military surgeons serve as fellows are, well, number one, we're generally not troublemakers. If we can put up with the bureaucracy of the Department of Defense, we're generally good citizens. And uh, secondly, we can operate independently. Typically, though not always, those who are given the opportunity to do some additional fellowship training through the Department of Defense are, have been uh, uh, practicing general surgeons for several years uh, and uh, before they're granted permission to do fellowships. That's changing a little bit, uh, and those who are selected for fellowships depends upon the need of uh, the, the, the Army, Navy, and Air Force. Uh, and also uh, one of the reasons that uh, military surgeons uh, are uh, welcome to serve as fellows is our salaries are actually paid by the Department of Defense. So uh, uh, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to do some additional trauma training at Vanderbilt and uh, uh, the support I as well as other uh, military colleagues have received have been uh, very uh, uh, it's been outstanding. And, and that's one of the things that uh, uh, the true benefits of uh, serving as a military surgeon, the, the interaction with our civilian partnership. Well, I'll, year, I'm sorry. I uh, felt last, like I just interrupted you. <laughs> well, and uh, uh, I just paused to take a breath there. As you can see, I've, uh, I've I very <laughs> much enjoy describing uh, my recent experiences. One example of that uh, collaboration with our civilian colleagues has been uh, the military health system strategic partnership with the American College of Surgeons. And uh, Dr. Dave Hoyt, uh, Executive Director of the college, uh, uh, has and our uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Dr. Jonathan Woodson, saw to it that uh, that partnership and collaboration between military surgeons and uh, uh, civilian surgeon leaders would become more formalized. So a charter was signed at the American College of Surgeons meeting in October 2014, and uh, the, the college is very supportive of uh, uh, looking to, for the uh, military surgeons form a military chapter of the American College of Surgeons and other educational support. So, so that's one of the, the true benefits. Uh, uh, one thinks that one goes into military service and becomes isolated from our civilian colleagues. That is not the case. Um, great collaboration exists, and uh, I very much sense a lot of support from our uh, civilian colleagues. Well, um, I can clearly see, based on the way that you're talking about it, that you really love your job. And I think that, honestly, this has been, Dr. Gross, this has been really informative for our listeners to hear this coming from somebody who's lived it and, and um, is living it every day. And I would personally like to thank you for your service to the country and our troops. And... Um, on behalf of the East Section of Career Development, I would like to thank you for taking time to speak with us today. And I'm Stephanie Montgomery, and I hope you enjoyed the program. When you find a moment of time, please visit the East website at www.east.org for more East CareerCast and other valuable information. 
Dr. Gross, this is Jamie Yay. Coleman from Indiana University, and thank you so much. This was wonderful. Um, we definitely could hear the passion in your voice, and I think this is exactly what we were looking for. I do have one other quick question for you is, what do you think we as civilian surgeons, since you have the unique opportunity and experience of seeing both sides of the coin, so to speak, what do you think would surprise us the most about your job as a military surgeon? What would surprise, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, 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 w- the bureaucracy and the additional responsibilities that one takes on as a military surgeon, uh, that's what surprised me most uh, in that uh, there's the officership side that one has to assume. I alluded this to a bit a bit earlier. I perhaps should have elaborated on it a bit earlier. But but as a military officer, uh, the expectation is to serve as a leader. And uh, uh, I know all surgeons, civilian, military, community practice, um, uh, certainly are the leaders in the trauma bay or the ICU, uh, but but truly, what one recognizes in the military is uh, our our junior members of the team, lower rank, uh, uh, other allied health professionals. We, we very much learn they are looking to us, and that officership recognizes that we have a duty and responsibility to those younger members to serve as mentors and as leaders, and uh, to serve as good examples to those uh, young folks. One of the very rewarding things about uh, uh, deploying, I've also had some leadership positions, commander of a forward surgical team, deputy commander of a, of a combat support hospital. And what's really fun is the, are the young soldiers. Uh, some of the, the young soldiers who, uh, one of my favorite soldiers was a young man who, uh, 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 he didn't finish high school initially, uh, rode his skateboard a lot. Then he got his GED. So, and he got his GED. So what? So he get in the army. He came in the army and was a uh, Apache helicopter mechanic. He developed uh, allergies to some of the uh, petrochemicals that were used uh, to, for aircraft maintenance. So he was then reclassed. That is, he was recategorized to a different uh, career field in the military and became an OR tech. And uh, this young man, you know, he was uh, he was a real handful uh, back at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, there's all sorts of mischief some of our young guys get into. But when we were deployed, he was the best soldier. Uh, the fact that he had a mission, the fact that he was focused, the fact that he was making a contribution, it was really rewarding to see this young man. He was just fantastic. There was no one who would work harder. There is no one who is better at their job, and uh, and uh, uh, now then we come home, we redeploy, and uh, uh, so this young soldier he starts getting into mischief again, and uh, I know one of the things. This is a, as an example one of the events which occurred before uh, we deployed. Uh, one of the proudest things he had done in his military career at a certain point was, you know, these uh, vehicles are called gators. 
there are these uh, uh, there are, uh, uh, things like uh, farmers use the all-wheel vehicles, all-terrain vehicles type things. Well, Tucker, uh, he uh, one of the most proud things he did was he said he got one of those things stuck in a mud bog. He said it took him about two hours to do it, but he finally got it stuck. <laughs> but but you have these guys, and and uh, uh, you really recognize that uh, uh, as a leader, we are powerless unless we have uh, folks who are work with us who we can uh, uh, ensure they work to their optimal uh, performance. And he was a great example of that. And uh, uh, but when we got back home, holy cow! You know, there's uh, one thing about being a military officer of a certain grade. You actually uh, uh, uniform code of military justice. You can hand out some uh, some discipline right on the spot. And uh, he he was not immune from being disciplined, not only informally but formally. But uh, but. Uh, those are the fun things. You see folks who, uh, uh, some of our young service members who uh, really uh, uh, get inspired. Actually, one of my colleagues who will go nameless, this is a young man who uh, uh, a few years ago, I don't know if you, I'm certain you don't recall, but uh, uh, the Battle of Mogadishu on 3 October 1993, one of my good colleagues was there. He was a medic at the time. He'd uh, had some tough challenges in high school, and uh, it was uh, a matter of joining the Army for something to do. He was at the Battle of Mogadishu. He was inspired. He uh, stayed in the Army. Used, then he went to college. Then he went to medical school. Then he went to uh, emergency medicine training. He became Emergency Medicine Systems Fellowship Director, and right now he is working with Congress on policy as a member of the United States Army. And uh, his that sequence of events was no doubt inspired directly by the sort of actions he saw as an 18-year-old man many years ago. And those are some of the things that happen uh, uh, uh War's bad. Conflict is bad. Ideally, there would be no individuals who uh, lose their lives uh, for an idea, but that just ain't the way the world is, and it's going to happen. We'd like to think humanity would mature to the point that uh, conflict is no longer required. However, that just isn't going to be the case. There will always be the need for those rough and grisly people to defend our nation. And they will always need to have folks who are willing to provide care to them. So um, that's, uh, uh, I guess that's maybe a long answer to a short question. No, it was great. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time, and we really appreciate um, all your advice and information that you've given to our listeners. Thank you.